Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome back to Politico Tech. Today is Monday, January 22nd. I'm Stephen Overly. So there's been this on again, off again relationship in the tech world for years now between the US and Europe over data. The pattern goes like this. The U.S. and EU will reach a data protection agreement that allows companies to freely move personal information about their customers across the Atlantic. Then, European privacy advocates will argue that EU citizens are not properly protected from U.S. surveillance. A European court will agree, and the flow of data comes to a halt. It's happened a couple of times, and it could happen again. Political privacy reporter Alfred Eng told me there's growing criticism of the latest data protection deal, and in particular, a very unique court that the Biden administration has set up solely to hear privacy complaints. I kind of looked at it as like a like a puzzle piece, right? It's like cut in like a very specific shape to like fit around something just to connect this bridge together between the EU and the U.S., This new piece of the puzzle is shrouded in all kinds of secrecy. And Alfred says that is making both privacy advocates and U.S. intelligence agencies uneasy. It doesn't even feel like a puzzle piece that was like part of the set, right? It feels like a puzzle piece that somebody like 3D printed. Like, oh, I can't find the puzzle piece for this. I'm just going to 3D print it and like put it in the spot. On the show today, Alfred explains why this surveillance court is so opaque and why it's likely to face a legal challenge that could shut it down. Hey, Alfred. Thanks for uh, coming back on Politico Tech. Thanks for having me. So tell me about the Data Protection Review Court, and why is it so secretive? So the Data Protection Review Court, it's not a court that you and I can go to unless we decide to move and, you know, live in Europe for a bit. But basically, this was a court that was created in October of 2022 from a executive order from the Biden administration. This was part of the U.S. government's way of basically aligning itself with European privacy regulations. So let me just take this back a couple of years. So in 2015, all was good with US and EU data privacy transfers, right? They were able to accompany, like Facebook's Europeans office was able to send data of Europeans over to the US servers, no problem. And then a Austrian privacy advocate named Max Schrems filed a lawsuit basically saying, hey, this is not right. We do not, you know, us as Europeans, you know, we don't have the right to challenge our data being collected by US surveillance agencies. And a European court agreed with him. And they they basically said, hey, you're not allowed to give European data over to uh, US companies or transfer them to the US side anymore. So the US government created this thing called a privacy shield, which basically was kind of agreement between the two where the US government would say, okay, we're going to comply with some of these privacy requirements. Then fast forward to 2020, a new ruling happened where they said, nope, that privacy shield thing also doesn't work for us because the big reason is there's no redress mechanism available, right? There's no real way for Europeans to come and say, hey, we have a problem with our data being collected by the US government because for a lot of reasons, right? Like how would you even know that your data is collected by the US government to begin with, right? Even as an American, it's hard for me to to figure that out. 
So when it was invalidated in 2020, the U.S. government and EU officials got to work again to create this new framework. And part of that was this executive order that was issued in 2022. That executive order created this court as this redress mechanism for Europeans, right? So now they're saying, no, you do have a legitimate way to come to the U.S. and say, hey, I believe that I was under U.S. surveillance um, unfairly. I believe I was part of this dragnet. I believe it violates Fourth Amendment rights, uh, even though Europeans don't have Fourth Amendment rights. That's kind of the standard that they're going with. And we want this to end. We want this to stop. We're used to courts being at least somewhat transparent, right? So like, why is this one in particular so shrouded in secrecy? So this court in particular is really shrouded in secrecy because of the types of cases that they would be dealing with. So it's all based on hearing claims of undue or unfair surveillance issues. And most of the times when that claim is brought up, it's classified information. So all of the judges have to have security clearances at a pretty high level. So even the person who files the complaint, like the European resident who says, like, I believe that I was under surveillance, they're not allowed to go to this court to represent themselves. Interesting. They are represented by a special advocate who is appointed by the U.S. government to basically represent their case. And the person who filed the complaint has no idea what's going on. They don't know if why their claims were rejected, if it does get rejected, because that's another element of it, too. It's, the way to get in front of this court is another whole process in, a, in and of itself. As a European resident, you have to basically file a complaint with your local like data protection authority. So if I lived in like Austria, I would have to go to the Austrian data protection authority and say, hey, I believe I was under U.S. government surveillance without cost then U.S. officials will review that case and then they'll send a response back to the Data Protection Authority to say, basically a, a Glomar response, which is basically saying we cannot confirm or deny that there was a malfeasance going on. You can choose to appeal this decision if you'd like, but we're not going to give you any details about why we deny this. We're not even going to tell you whether or not we denied this case or fixed what the issue is. That's what's so crazy to me is like, so we don't know cases this court is taking up, if any. We don't know what decisions it is making. What do we know? Well, we will know the amount of cases they hear like every year. So I think the U.S. you know Department of Justice does recognize that there are transparency concerns with this. So they do have an annual report that comes out every year basically saying, you know, here's how many cases that we took up this year. They do also have like internal reviews on just, hey, is this court working? Are we actually doing what we were created to do? But they're going to have like a classified version of that report that goes to the attorney general, congressional intelligence agencies and heads of the intelligence community. And then there is another version that goes to basically the public that just says, you know, Here's how many cases we took. I don't believe it'll give out any details on what the decisions were like or if they basically said, no, we ruled against the U.S. government and we said that there were illegal surveillance operations going on. I don't believe that will be a part of the report, but I think big part of it is because so much of this deals with classified information that they can't release like just all the things that they would like to. How has the Justice Department sort of defended the setup of this court? Yeah, the Justice Department's defense of this court setup is basically this is classified information. We can't really just reveal all of these details, but you please trust us that, you know, we are putting in a good faith effort on this. 
And we hope that these annual reports, that these annual transparency reports that we put out are indicative of that. The old, uh, please just trust us defense. Uh, (laughs) That always works out well. Yeah. I mean, I think we'll see with the annual report that comes out, though, because so the previous iteration of this, basically like a privacy ombudsman office, and that was basically a standard between 2016 and 2020. So this is like it's existed for like four years before it was invalidated. And when I asked the Justice Department official about it, how many cases did that office hear? I think they said low single digits. Which to me, like for four years, they had a low single digit amount of cases that they heard. Right. And, you know, part of the defense was, you know, not many people were privacy minded during that time. And we think that we'll handle more cases this time around because people are much more aware of the issue now. But yeah, that's why I'm very eager to see the annual report when it comes out, because I would love to know how many cases they've heard in like their first year of operation. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. So I know from your reporting, there are sort of different groups that have raised concerns with how this court is structured and how it's going to be run. One of them is is U.S. intelligence agencies themselves, right? Why are they worried about how this court has been set up? I do think there is a level of like nervousness with this court because this court represents another element of potential constraints on the intelligence agencies because the, the court has binding authority in their decisions. So once the court issues like guidance or a ruling on, you know, a surveillance operation, that's it. There's no appeal process. The, the, the you know, the NSA can't go and say, well, no, like we're not going to do this because this is important to uh, U.S. security operations and things like that. So they're very concerned that, you know, this court that has all these outside judges and authority has this uh, final decision making power over the NSA or over like FBI operations and things like that. But the thing is, is that there haven't been any decisions issued yet, at least not to my knowledge, you know, the judges were only appointed in October, and they mostly work on like a case by case basis, It's not like they're getting paid salaries for this, they have their regular jobs. And then, you know, if a case comes up, they go and do this. But I think there's like a level of nervousness to it of, you know, what if these judges say we can't do this kind of operation on a foreign target or something like that? I think the caveat to that is that this court, it doesn't function like a normal court where it's like, oh, we decided this one thing was illegal. So all similar cases of it are also going to be illegal. Like it doesn't set precedent at all. It only applies to the single case that they hear. So if you're a European resident, and you have, you know, the exact same circumstances happen to you, you still have to go to the court and make your argument there. You have to go through this entire process again. There's so much history here between the US and Europe and how data is handled and whether the privacy rights of Europeans will be protected. I, I can't imagine that European privacy advocates are thrilled with this sort of set up. 
What have you heard from them about the way that they view this court and, and how it functions? European privacy advocates, uh, I specifically spoke with Max Schrems, who was the privacy advocate that inva- sued to invalidate the previous two versions of this data transfer framework. And, you know, he he's not a fan of it. I think he's made the argument that how would a average European citizen even know that they were under, you know, U.S. government surveillance to file this claim? This entire process where even after filing a claim, you don't know if it's going to end up in the court or not. You don't know why they rejected your claims and you don't know, you know, what the results of your claims are going to be at the end of it. So, you know, that that's his whole argument here. And he's saying that, you know, we don't have the privacy rights that we should have when it is transferred over to American servers. And I think the fact that all of these frameworks keep popping up, I think for him, it feels like Groundhog Day or like a House of Cards kind of scenario where he has to keep knocking this down. He's just arguing that, no, this is not the problem here. The problem is not so much the court. It is it is surveillance and the lack of rights that Europeans have. And you can't just keep setting up all these like different infrastructures to allow for that to happen. The one group that seems to be happy enough with this court is business community, right? Or, you know, multinational corporations, because as you were saying, now they can move their data between the US and the EU. Is that really what this court is all about is just sort of creating the system needed to allow these companies to move their data? I think so. I mean, I don't think that the Biden administration would have just created this court on their own if like these companies were able to transfer data to each other or between the two regions without any issue, right? I don't think the Biden administration was thinking, you know, hey, we need to have a way for Europeans to address privacy concerns in the US. Because it's not like this court is open to people in Asia. It's not like this court is open to people in Australia or in Africa or South America. And it's specifically for European residents. It's not like the U.S. only conducts surveillance on European residents, right? Like, it obviously has this global surveillance apparatus, and the fact that this court only exists for European residents. I don't think this court would exist without this, like, concern about data transfers that, like, Trems brought up. With the questions about how this court is operating, I wonder if, should we anticipate any challenges to the court or to kind of how it is going to operate? Yeah, so Max Trems has said that he is going to challenge this court again. I think that's something that's been on a lot of businesses' minds. I think it's something that's been a lot of privacy professionals' minds as well. Because if it gets invalidated again, a lot of companies, you know, who who have been close to the situation, they have been very optimistic about this court, saying that, no, we think that this will hold up to scrutiny from a third challenge. But some of them are kind of hedging their bets. Some of them are opening servers, like server centers in Europe, so that it's stored there and it's not transferred any American servers or anything like that. Alfred, interesting story. And thanks for being here on Politico Tech. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's all for today's Politico Tech. You can read more of Alfred's reporting on data privacy at politico.com. And for more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our managing producer is Andy Reese. Our producer is Afra Abdullah. And our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. See you back here tomorrow.